Christmas carol. A what? A Christmas carol. A what? A Christmas carol. Welcome to TARDIS Talk, the weekly podcast where we discuss all things Doctor Who. This week, it's another festive frolic as the Doctor, Dumbledore and a Welsh mezzo-soprano help a flying shark back to life. No, I've not been peeking at the fanfic section on Outpost Gallifrey. It's a Christmas Carol 2010's thoroughly joyous Christmas special. And helping me with this story this week and working out whether it's been naughty or nice are my two favourite elves, Matt and Cook. Merry Christmas, gentlemen. Merry Christmas. I don't recall agreeing to be an elf. Uh, nobody does, as we'll oh, find I out in enough. next week's podcast. <laughs> 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 yeah, so 2010's A Christmas Carol, Matt Smith, uh, Karen Gillan, well, less so in this story, but... Um, I have to go on record and officially and Arthur Darville everyone Arthur forgets Darville. about Arthur Darville everyone forgets about Rory this is my favourite Christmas special it is just like fantastic I absolutely adore this uh, episode of Doctor Who um, I don't think you can here's a question for you before we get started could you watch this story outside of Christmas I mean there's nothing stopping you physically but would it feel weird to watch it outside of Christmas yeah it, it would wouldn't me. it Oh, see, I don't think it would. I mean, it's definitely got its Christmas vibes behind it, but to me, it doesn't stink so much of Christmas that if I watched it, I'd say April or July, that I would be off put or, or avoid it. Mm, okay, that's interesting. Maybe you'll feel differently in 30 degree heat. <laughs> <laughs> Just like the Runaway Bride. <laughs> I'll never stop going on about that. So, the story of this, The Christmas Carol, it is essentially, isn't it? It's a play on, on, on Charles Dickens as a, a Christmas Carol. Um, the Doctor is effectively kind of acting as the ghost of Christmas past, present, and future to some extent. I know Amy steps in there, but we'll talk about that later. Um, about he uses his inspiration to solve a very sci-fi problem. Exactly, yeah. He basically uses time travel based on Christmas Carol to, to, to teach a curmudgeonly old man the, the error of his ways and make him see that things aren't as bad as they, they are and you know he can become a better person for it. Um, I think, actually, this is probably the most blatant example of the Doctor manipulating someone's timeline, isn't it, really? <laughs> You know, he's probably gone full uh, uh, interference here with an individual's timeline, hasn't he? I mean, yeah, yeah but it also fits the, the theme of the, of the series so far up to that point, because they're talking about, um, I think Amy actually uses the line in the episode, doesn't she, about, about time being rewritten, and obviously everything he's learned from that season, he's put into, into this Christmas special and can be oh, a little never thought more flexible around it. Yeah, that's a very fair point. That's a, a very, very fair point. Um the story itself as well though like the setting and stuff it's just beautiful it's i don't visually but even kind of like from a from a thematic point of view i think it's very fairy tale-ish um i think they did a very good job of capturing that kind of that victorian vibe but with a sci-fi setting steampunk it's just pure steampunk all the way through isn't it 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 doesn't but the thing is to me anyway yeah fish punk's probably a better way of praising it (laughs) because it doesn't actually scream you know, massive boilers and pipes and the type of thing you normally associate with steampunk. Yeah, true, this that's true. To see that, that underlying element where they blend it really well. We'll talk about the visuals in a bit more detail later because I think there is something magnificent about not just the CGI but about the set work in this particular story. But specifically the actual story itself is... We said we said this when we did our review of um, Moffat's Series 5. Um, it's one of my one of my favourite series, I think, Series 5. And it's... He does... Ha- he, when he reinvented Who after RTD left, he reinvented it with this fairy tale vibe didn't they it was it was very very much yeah, that kind of guys intentional mm. 
and and it just bleeds into a Christmas Carol perfectly. Um, my wife, this is one of her favourite um, Doctor Who Christmas specials. Uh, you know, she always fondly remembers this one. So I think it was accessible to families as well. It wasn't hardcore sci-fi. Um, it, it all felt like it, it, the pseudoscience was highly fantastical, but not hard to understand, if that makes sense. So like fish that can swim in fog. When your brain thinks about it, fog is just kind of like diluted water, isn't it really? <laughs> so why wouldn't they be able to fish it to, to swim in fog? I think that's a fantastic concept. Just sort of having yeah. that as a, as a premise and then using that as a linchpin for setting it around Christmas and stuff because fog is quite wintry and it gives you that, that vibe that you want to be warm and cosy as you're watching it and it, it just kind of like shines through in, in great abundance. Um, and then you've got the concept of the fish and it's an alien planet and stuff like that and, and it even seems fantastical to the Doctor I suppose in some some aspects doesn't it? Well he literally says doesn't he? Because he loves new planets. Yeah well it's the point when that bloke's telling you better get indoors there's a fish wa- a fish weather warning out tonight or whatever he says and the Doctor says alright yeah okay a, a fish weather warning? <laughs> I think Matt Smith does a great job of being proper um, enchanted by places yeah, he needs to visit. Definitely, yeah. Also throwing in that mix of being able to, to sort of like take control and manifest the doctor when necessary, but he's still completely entranced by everything as we all are. Um, there's other, like from a fairy tale perspective as well. There are other elements. Um, so talking about the story, if we look at it from a fairy tale perspective, then you've got the nice, the nice kind of like the light humour aspect of it. There's lots of kind of joy. The Doctor teaching this little boy to become kind of like not be afraid of his abusive father. Um, he's trying to kind of, I don't want to use the word groom, but that's exactly what the Eleventh Doctor does. He goes back and he grooms Kazran Sardik um, into becoming. Anyway, it's not the first time. <laughs> no, Jesus, no. Eleven has form. Eleven has form. He does have an M. He likes them beyond. <laughs> oh, I don't God. know how to respond to this. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I just. <laughs> I had a train of thought and it's gone. Thanks for that, Cook. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. No, but yeah, basically, kind of like he, he goes and he shows this young boy who turns into a teenager and then a young adult kind of like all the great things about life he takes them him to you know alien planets and sort of different times and stuff like that and um and then there's the dark side which is you know the, the abusive father um the fact that he uses uh humans as collateral for loans and he's so rich he basically owns the the, the clouds if nothing screams grim fairy tale like a rich man that owns the clouds i don't know what does because that is just perfect. That as you know, it's a, it's a fantasy concept. I, I don't know, like it, um, from a fairy tale perspective, do you guys think that's? Yeah, and I and I agree because it's not. I mean, we talk about only the clouds. One thing they make quite uh, front and center in the episode as well is that it's not just the clouds though, because they can control when the sort of the clouds come down and when it separates, or whatever. That he controls the fish essentially as well, and that mm-hmm. you know that we see that there's some nice tiny little fish and there's some quite rather large violent fish up there as well. So talk yeah. about a political power to literally hold over a planet. That's fantastic, isn't it? And then the, the, obviously the opening salvo, which is he basically, there's, there's, a, there's a ship crashing and Kazaran is pretty much like, no, nah, mate, don't give a shit. Not my problem, you know? So what if they crash? It's Christmas. What, what difference does that make? Know, it's just and, a day like any other. Add, and the bit to add to that as well is it's not like, um, it's not like, freeing up a lane for the ship to land would have actually caused him a problem he just didn't care it's proper yeah. dismissal yeah and i think it's the fact that the doctor's trying to push him as well at the start it just he digs his heels in from a stubborn perspective and he's like well i'm definitely not going to help you now sort of thing mm-hmm. um 
I absolutely fantastic love that. We're going to do that thing again where we're talking about retrospectives. Take it you guys would have watched this because you were watching Doctor Who by this point, weren't you? Yeah. 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 So do you remember watching it with your family or like? <laughs> no. No, but you watched it on your own. <laughs> Uh, no, I don't remember watching. Oh, okay, you don't remember watching it. About you, Matt? Uh, yeah, well, as per tradition, I watched this by myself. <laughs> Poor bugger. Um, I just think it's perfect Christmas Day watching this particular story from a like a hook point. And um, like I said a minute ago, my wife completely loved this story, and loads of other people I remember, I speak to, remember the Christmas special with the sharks. I say they, they, you know, sharks, a shark singular, but still, they remember this one because it is just fantastic. It's Christmas is supposed to be kind of like magical, isn't it? And I think that's probably like the better word to describe this episode. It's magical. Whereas all the other episodes, like we did Voyage of the Damned last week. How do you think this compares to Voyage of the Damned in terms of Christmassy cook? Like what's in terms of like levels of Christmas and sort of magic? Uh, well, Would you rate it? Over levels it? of Christmassy and levels of magicalness are different. I suppose. This, this one's a more magical episode, but mm. they they both evoke Christmas in a similar um the way sense, the way it's, yeah the way it's kind yeah. of written and designed and stuff yeah I suppose I think that's kind of difficult to put on the spot and sort of say which one is more of a Christmassy one I guess um I think to me it's probably Christmas Carol and again my reason behind that is because if you'd have just taken if you'd have taken the Christmas trees and the Christmas songs out of Void of the Damned, it would have just been a special of who. That was my logic, and, yeah. And even with this one, even if you gutted the fact that it was on Christmas and it was snowy and all that type of thing that was going on, it is still fundamentally a Christmas carol is the story. Yeah, no, that's very true. That's that's very true. Um, and it's a driving force as well, obviously. It's the key linchpin for the Doctor realising how he can fix the situation. <laughs> by its namesake a christmas carol um yeah i just I, I i watch this story every year this is part of my christmas ritual this warship down et christmas films it's my it's part of my ritual and i have to watch this just because um i've got like positive connotations with it i was the first christmas me and the mrs spence or together on our own away from other family so it was great just two of us watching it together um and it is just a really, really good story. You just said, Matt, take the Christmas element out of it. Okay, take the Christmas element out of this one. You've still got a bloody good story with some great, yeah, great concepts in it. Um, how long is it? It's about an hour, isn't it? Yeah, it's a little bit over an hour, I think. Yeah. It's perfect, perfect viewing it, because The Voyage of the Damned was about 70 minutes, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, and they do a lot with an hour, but it doesn't feel, to me anyway, it doesn't feel rushed. It doesn't feel like anything was put in there just to filler it everything felt like it really did have a good place i mean even you know even starting from the opening from the doctor quite literally dropping into the study and starting to have the you know through the fireplace which is a fantastic <laughs> way to choose the doctor into a christmas i know special. right i know <laughs> but just starts from that build up and straight you know he's straight into it he's straight into establishing the problem quite quickly and establishing the blockers quite quickly yeah although one of the bits that did make me laugh though is when he's uh he's playing around with the the device that controls the spire and he he's, he doesn't believe it's isomorphic and that isomorphic doesn't exist and i'm sitting there going but haven't you had conversations before where isomorphic controls exist and you've encountered yeah. them so this seems a little bit off that comedy yeah i don't know whether that was intentional or moffat's part or not but yeah that's that's a frequent a very frequent thing with doctor who though isn't it it always contradicts it's a surprise but your point stands because it surprises me that moffat would have gotten that wrong with his writing um, is, this is his first Christmas special as well, isn't it? Both um, Matt Smith and Stephen Moffat. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it yeah. yeah, will be. I think, interestingly, though, the uh, plot point where the Doctor goes back in time and, you know, 
inserts himself into the life of a person was actually pitched by Paul Cornell. Was it really? Used the idea. Yeah. I did not know that. So does he get any sort of rights over the story then, or was it just kind of like? I, I don't know. I think Paul Cornell wrote about it somewhere, and he wasn't particularly happy. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love finding but, um, things like that. I didn't know that. Blimey. I think it's all right with it now, but like, <laughs> you be eventually. If we, are gonna, if we are going to talk about that part of the plot, though, I loved the 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 actual storytelling element of uh, where he, where the doctor literally jumps into the TARDIS while the recording's playing, and he materializes in the background of the recording. It's fantastic, that, that isn't it? That entire thing was phenomenal. Was, this is the thing: when Moffat was on his game, he was boy on his game. The the the, the timey wimey concepts of his stories at this point, series five, and then this were clever without kind of going into the conversations of where we think Moffat went wrong. I think it was kind of like, this was like maybe his peak, possibly, um, in terms of cleverness. Uh, I would say that as well, yeah. And I think it's the 11th Doctor's peak as well, really. Yeah, I could probably agree with that, or at least in this capacity anyway. Um, but uh, yeah, slight tangent of that, if we were to go down that path. Um, yeah, what you're saying there about kind of like the fact that he goes and then starts um, interacting with uh, Kaz Ranasir, Let's talk about the characters. Let's we've spoken about the plot a bit. I mean, the the resolution to the the story itself is quite sad, but that will bleed into us talking about the characters anyway. So we've got a very first of all, it's a companion light episode, which was a bit left field, really, wasn't it? Because they they never advertised it as being companion light, and then all of a sudden, Rory and Amy aren't in hardly any of the episode. I the hot take. I think that helps. I think it really helps yeah. the story. I was going to say, I don't mind it, to be honest. I love Amy and Rory. Um, I don't know how you feel about it, Matt. I really enjoyed the fact it was just the Doctor and these new companions for his special. Yeah, I think so. And I think, again, sort of the the way that they, don't say written off, because that's not exactly what I mean, but the way that they've been put onto the ship and he, you know, there's that line about how he can't materialise on it and actually it's, you know, the honeymoon suite and all that. It feels like there's a legitimate reason why they're on that ship, not... Oh, just can't can't quite find Amy and Rory today, so I'm yeah. just gonna have this adventure by myself. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is very, very feasible, which makes it really, really kind of um plausible that he kind of goes off he's only he's only gone to Ember, the name of the planet, which isn't named on screen weirdly, but it is in I can't remember where I read it. It was in one of the books, one of the accompanying books that the BBC published. What's it called? Ember. Ember. Is in like like a E M B E R, like a like a floating like a like a flame, you know, Ember's yeah. Ember's flame, yeah. Um but yeah, the only reason the Doctor's there is because their ship is crashing, which is, you know, a nice little happenstance. But no, the characters then. So we've got the Doctor. We've got um, Kazran Sardik in various different ages. We'll talk about each aspect of, of his character in the portrayal. Um, we've got Abigail, who is fantastic in herself. Um, and then the Doctor. So just talking about the Doctor, touching on Matt Smith's performance at this point. I don't know whether it was written intentionally this way and there's like reference to it, but the 11 in this one comes across very much, very much like, like Sherlock. Father Christmas. Oh, you said Sherlock. That's interesting. Yeah. I think Moffat wrote quite a, a lot like Sherlock. He, well, he has a specific moment, doesn't he? I think you're going to yeah. say that, weren't you, Matt? Yeah, as I said, the, the bit where he sits in the study and he's sort of analysing the chairs and the paintings and all that feels very Sherlocky. Mm. Um, I really do get where you're coming from there. But to me, what, what Eleven does very well, and I mentioned this earlier as well, is he's very good at his his childlike wonder, but he's also very good at flicking that switch into the serious "I've got a plan" mode. But yeah, and the threatening know, dark mode as well. Well, yeah, and that's and that's kind of the point. It's nice to see, you know, 
it's almost like the doctors because i think you said earlier um chris the doctors are excited to be there as we are to watch it on screen yeah yeah that's that's actually it yeah it, 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 the, the father christmas thing in my opinion kind of comes across in the sense that like he's a surrogate you know um he kind of comes down the chimney and he sort of bewitches children and takes them and gives them presents over christmas eve and goes on this fantastic adventure and as a, as a viewer watching you're kind of like engaged in it that way especially probably as a kid i mean i can't speak as not being a child viewer myself but um i can imagine being a kid and being enthralled by it and just thinking you know wow this is amazing um you're right he does capture that childlike sense of um bewilderment and um, sort of like you know awe at everything he's seeing especially in the later stuff like when they capture the shark some of the things he comes out with is fantastic as well what is that line about the baby headed spiders <laughs> what what is that oh my god they they the back of uh kids cupboards and things don't they that's right they've got baby faces and the, the spiders with baby faces and they create yeah, a scuttle at the back of a uh, wardrobe <laughs> i think that's just perfect scripting of like 11 his filter's not on and he's just blurbing stuff out um but yeah i, th- I think the character in this one is absolutely you know peak you, you don't get much better than 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 matt smith sort of like doing what he does as the doctor in the christmas carol he's got everything in it the emotion the sadness the regret uh he's very witty in this one um <laughs> go on marilyn get your coat <laughs> just fantastic it's just perfect so talking about some of the other characters then because obviously they're quite quite in depth um let's talk kazran then because of course there's different facets to him different ages so we've got different actors playing the say, role. which one well let's start with obviously dumbledore himself michael gambon um fantastic phenomenal actor one of my favorite actors anyway um absolutely amazing they got him for doctor who considering how you know he's a big actor big hollywood actor as well um so fantastic that they got him for doctor who but he just plays like curmudgeonly old shit really well doesn't he (laughs) i honestly don't think they could have got anyone better there's a risk that ian mckellen could have done it all right but i still yeah you're right i think Michael Gambon was the... Yeah, I don't know. I think I've seen too much of Ian McKellen in chat shows and things to know that he's too nice to come across that way. <laughs> oh, he played Magneto, didn't he? And he was a bit of an arse. That's true. But, <laughs> but yeah, no, Michael Gambon is just fantastic as, as oldest. I love all the dialogue between him and uh, the Doctor as um, he's old. And they're kind of like sort of, you know aggressively bantering between each other um i want there's a moment with his character as well where at the very very start where he's about to hit the boy and he he stops himself and he he, he shakes you know his hand physically shakes and the portrayal of that is just beautiful it's like it, it's so believable that he yeah. is barely in control of himself um to an extent Again, and he's just troubled it's not and the, it's not just the shakes it's the it's the look on his face you know yeah. he manages to go red faced as well he does quite a lot with that yeah what is it three seconds of camera time that's exactly it. i mean there's, there's no point of sitting here and cross analyzing michael gambon because he's got decades of amazing acting work behind him but, but what i will say now that i thought about it as well because i mentioned earlier with you know the 11 thought particularly in this episode feeling quite uh childish wonder it's a nice um uh polarizing effect to seeing um 
just seeing well, again the the grouchy old man who doesn't believe in Christmas and actually the fact that they're on the opposite ends of the scale just kind oh. of reinforces the the message they're trying to sell. Yeah, and it's also beautiful to see it literally see him melting away from being this old shit into being you know he opens his drawer and he but that didn't happen but it did happen and he opens his drawer and then there's the half the chewed sonic screwdriver and a photo of Abigail and he's kind of like starting to remember and you can see him time being rewritten for him and the memories and the effects catching up with him and him remembering that he started falling in love with this girl it's a yeah. beautiful the, the, the love story and this is a beautiful love story i'm a sucker for um time travel that isn't just about robots and lasers and shit i like the cleverer aspects of it and this works really well for me um yeah, yeah i just it's gone i was gonna say just to talk sort of that, about that that polarizing opposite again sort of between the, um, the between the characters i've just mentioned one of the things again that stands out is you get that moment again where like you're saying you get um you get the changes where he's the grumpy old man he's got the new memories he starts to come into that realization but then falls back into his old ways because of you know heartbreak in this scenario mm. and then on the flip side as well you get the obviously you get the childlike wonder dish that the doctor is currently portraying leading up to that fact actually that although he's tried to do the right thing he's still caused a different level of regret and does sadly still sealed the problem in a slightly different way before coming back round to that realization yeah there is a solution and there's this quite nice parallels between them that actually but it made parallels is the wrong word but there's that nice realization that they both go through these very very small arcs as the episode goes on and mm. the, neither one of them has the right approach is probably the right way of phrasing it yeah it's almost kind of like character development in a way isn't it mm. the way it sort of creeps up slowly and builds up slowly i don't i mean old old Kazran, um, did you want to add anything to to sort of like your your opinion of the character or the way that he uh, he's portrayed in here? Um, honestly, I find it difficult to watch this episode through an analytical lens, just purely because of how much I enjoy it. So okay, that's that's fair enough. From a from like a captivation point of view, then I suppose you're yeah, completely immersed. I don't, in it. I don't, I don't really think about what I'm watching when I watch this. It just sort of all clicks in like a very satisfying that's moment. fine that helps from a podcast review point of view <laughs> thanks <laughs> <laughs> all right let's let's talk about your hey, just be thankful we didn't fall asleep i like old grumpy man <laughs> <laughs> old grumpy man good yeah and be grateful that you didn't fall asleep as well that's a good point it's also a bit difficult though because i watched this when i was first a kid so at that point i was more or less relating to young Catherine and yeah, that's a very good point. Well, let's talk yeah. about Yon Kazran then. In that case, um, I don't, I don't know if I've mentioned this before. I hate child actors, um, but I love uh, Lawrence Belcher in this. Um, I think that's his name anyway. Uh, brilliant little actor. See, I thought again, they... I was going to completely agree. Normally, up until recently, probably to you know the last well, like two or three years, child actors, in my personal opinion, have been quite a low caliber. Mm. But I think that this. This kid does a great job, actually, with his time on screen. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I don't have any faults with him. He's believable as a child. Um, he's quite sweet in a way, uh, you know. Um, especially like the, the, when we see the, the the shitty end of of his relationship with his with his father, um, Elliot, as always called the Sardic yeah. Senior. Yeah, and it goes to he hits him, and you just feel really heartbroken for him a little bit. And he's just he's just he just wants to see the fish, and he's like any little boy really you know um he sort of dreams big and wants sort of like to go out there and explore and sort of play with animals and stuff like that and and we know what happens to him as well which is probably the more heartbreaking thing at that point 
we know that this little boy gets squashed down into this really horrible person who won't uh, save a spaceship full of people um, purely out of spite and is more than happy to uh, take human bodies as collateral. Um, it's the implication that that was originally his father's doing, and then once the Doctor got involved, it was the Heartbreak's doing. What's that? Sorry. So he became... Because he, he was still a bitter old man, even during the Doctor's interference, until it's actually resolved. So I'm guessing... Yeah, that, it does that peak and trough thing Matt was talking about, doesn't it? Where he kind of goes through yeah. eyes, and then he's... Uh, that's another thing that I like about Kazran, actually, during this, this particular story, how he's watching A Christmas Carol with us. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So he's participating and watching the episode with us. He's almost breaking. He's, he's going a bit meta and he's watching the adventure, or at least he's remembering the, the adventure at the same time as we are. So these memories he's discovering and coming back and they're changing. Yeah, I kind of get your point a little bit. Um, it's the implication as to whether or not it's the doctor that actually kind of twisted him in that in that in that capacity. Um, but it's. I also like the innocence of young Kazran as well because he's not. He don't really give a crap about Abigail, does he? Um, he's probably kind of like in an Anakin Skywalker, are you an angel sort yeah. of way? But he's not overly enamoured with her at this point, is he? His, his hormones haven't kicked in, is what I'm getting at. He literally um, just picked her at random, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, um, right. I think so, didn't he? I don't think there's any particular reason as to, as to why he picked her particular, I don't know what you'd call it, coffin vault? I don't know what it is, really. Yeah. I think yeah. they picked her because in a like recording, they talk about the fact that she loves the fish and they're trying to save the shark. Oh, that's right. Yes, 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 yes. They do, they do, they do, they do. Yeah, of course. Um, so they, they meet up with her. Um, they have a bit of an adventure. Uh, I love kind of like the Doctor having a companion who's an actual child and it paying off well. I don't think they've done that. Have they done that elsewhere in, in Doctor Who so far? With, with a child companion with the Doctor? non-spring to mind anyway put it like that and I'm not counting teenagers here, I'm talking actually <laughs> <laughs> yeah well I'll say mental age but he's got something completely wrong with him um, I don't think they have are they so it was quite nice to see the doctor running around with an actual child um, and I can only imagine as a kid that must have been thoroughly exciting and relatable watching something like it that it was pretty cool but also um, the fact that you know just after he gets like effectively beaten by his father and he's like absolutely sobbing onto his desk. The person he turns around and the person that's there to save him is literally the doctor. And mm. I think that's something that pretty much every kid across the entire country wants to have when want, they're upset. Yeah. yeah, that's a really nice insight that actually. Yeah, that's that's a very good point. I never thought of that. Um it's wonderfully touched upon as well. She's very delicate. It's not kind of like the doctor's here to take you away from your evil father. He's still got a modus operandi. It's just that he's there, and you know he happens to make a fun out of it at the same time. And theoretically, they they did this. What it was every Christmas Eve, wasn't it? Up until uh, Kazran was about twenty or something. Is that right? I think they only had like seven or so. Yeah, I'm days sure. on Thingy's vault, but so yeah. it would have expanded like seven years for Kazran. So okay, right, yeah, so he would have been, it would have been until he's like twenty or so, I imagine. Right, that would make sense. Twelve and a half, so he's yeah, it yeah, be a bit about nineteen twenty, wouldn't he? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So, so yeah, so it's it's nice to see that, and I guess, I guess it it helps to have the actor. Um, I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> Let's move on. Let's move yeah, on. Yeah. With the um, time passing? Yeah, possibly. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it was something like that. We'll go with that. We'll go with that. So next on then to teenage uh, slash young adult um, 
Kazran, which is played by Danny Horn, who reprised the role of Kazran for a big finish outing. Surprise, surprise. Um, yeah, yeah, you're not seeing it. There's yeah. literally nothing that company will like to do. <laughs> hey, look, it's still better than anything. No, right. So, <laughs> so, uh, Danny Horn. Uh, the only, the only criticism that I have and it's not just with Doctor Who it's with a lot of things and it's with films and TV I hate it when casting directors choose actors that don't remotely resemble remotely resemble the original child version of that character because there is no way Lawrence Belcher and Danny Horn are the same person <laughs> unless he's had yeah. some sort of dramatic facial reconstruction surgery in the in the years that lapse um, it's it's not even a criticism. It's just an observation of kind of casting directors in you know in shows. But I suppose it's the expectation of the viewer to suspend their belief and you know put their dick away and stop getting hoity-toity <laughs> about something so small. I guess. I think the problem also, they had with that though is that they'd have to find someone that looks really resembles one or, or the other, name? and they just found young, two great actors. Young. Yeah, and, and and Michael Gambon. So. I mean, how the hell they got to Michael Gambon? I suppose that's just they say you basically end up looking. What's that? The, the the Buddhism thing, or there's like a religious thing that basically says you end up looking how you act, <laughs> and it kind of goes to show, doesn't it? Because Michael Gambon does have a bit of a sort of craggy, angry-looking, jowly face to some respects, doesn't it? I don't, that sounds awful, but you know what I'm getting at. Um, but yeah, Danny. <laughs> With with that point of it though, I think you're also you're kind of limited, aren't you? Because it doesn't matter whether you're casting somebody to come in and fill a certain role. You need to make sure that if you don't get somebody who applies for the job, who happens to look like that older version of that child, you're out of luck. Yeah. And then what happens if you recruit or recruit or hire somebody who does like that person, but they don't necessarily have the acting well, skills? Yeah. What that's you want. exactly. So yeah. again, I think it's a bit of you know. We're also watching something about um, fish being able to fly through well, the fog. That's so my if point. Spend yeah. your disbelief enough there. I'm yeah. sure you can manage that leap. Too. Yeah, it's just a pet peeve of mine. It's just when, when you see things like that, and you're just like, they don't look anything alike. I mean, it, it, I'll, make, that's, I'll make a note of that one to annoy you later. That's not the worst example of stuff that I've seen in films before. Um, but yeah, yeah, it just makes me laugh. It's something I'll always lean across and say to the other half, "Yeah, there's no way that's the same character when they were younger." Like, um, so yeah, Danny Horn then. Um, so he is playing a hormonally charged Kazran, really, isn't he? Um, one for the teenagers at this point, you know. He's pretty much. And and because how old is um, Abigail supposed to be? Can't remember if she um, says or not. Is she because Catherine Jenkins is definitely, definitely not a teenager when they film this. <laughs> yeah. She's definitely not a teenager, so I don't quite know the appropriateness of this relationship. <laughs> I'm sure, I think... Did her sister mention it? She must have mentioned it, because her sister was quite old when... It's insinuated, though, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's sort so of that, insinuated that she's young. Probably a similar age. Yeah, that would make sense. It's a teenage cat. Well, because they end up getting this attraction between them, don't they? Um you know, there's a, 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 the way that Catherine Jenkins sort of like delivers her surprise at Kazran's blossoming. <laughs> She's yeah. like, oh, oh hello. <laughs> um, to quote River Song, hello, Benjamin. She's she's very much um, sort of uh, enthralled by him a little bit, isn't she? And that's the point when you see Kazran and, and Abigail sort of like starting to kind of like fall in love with each other. Um, 
And I don't know whether or not they kept it a secret from the Doctor or whether or not he is... I can believe it's just Eleven being completely and utterly oblivious. Um, you know, it's not like they put up a balloon or anything. Um, mm. But... I mean- Keeping what? it secret. Well, they, what made you? What made you think they, it was secret? He walked in on them having a snog. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good. I'm thinking specifically of the swimming pool scene where they're they're talking, and I can't remember what they're talking about. Is she basically trying to tell him that she's not got long left, and the doctor storms in and interrupts yeah. them? Mm, okay, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Mm, okay, maybe my brain's just interpreting it in a completely different way then. Clearly, doesn't remember as well as he thinks he does. Yeah, well, apparently not. I know. I know it's terrible, but I, I think that the interesting thing about this particular character is when he realizes what's wrong with Abigail. Though this is when we start to see um, Gambon, uh, Kazran, sort of come out as a character in him because he becomes very kind of like it's, it's, it, his actual kind of like physicality changes as well, doesn't it? He kind of becomes more kind of like. He straightens his back up. Sorry, I'm moving my head away from my microphone while I'm doing this. It's not going to help. He straightens his back up and he kind of says, well, no, I, th- I think we're done here, Doctor. There's, there's no point in you coming back anymore. I've got to run my father's business. Yeah, yeah then, Christmas is for kids, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Out, and it's it's him being hurt by the fact that, you know, if he brings her out once more, if he starts taking prawns out of the freezer, isn't it? <laughs> You're going to need to take it out. <laughs> You, you love to take a nice, sweet, sentimental moment and ruin it, don't you? <laughs> How long has this Abigail been out of the freezer for? <laughs> can, we, can we refreeze an Abigail when it's oh, been it's out? to smell. <laughs> uh, she's only got about a day's left. <laughs> oh, jeez. That means it's literally, by your analogy, that's literally her expiry date on the front of her box. <laughs> It is. I wonder if that, that actually came from a, from conversations Moffat had with his wife or something. I'm trying to tell what, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> Don't, because I'll have to edit this. Oh. Um, oh, man. But yeah, so you can see at this point where Kazaran's kind of like morphed into Gambon and he's become quite dark. And that's when the Doctor's like, do you know what? I'm going to bolt and cut my losses. It's clearly not working. Although it feels a bit a bit weak of the Doctor. He's, he's got like, theoretically, another 50 years worth of you know, pressure to put on Kazarin. So it surprises me that at that point he's like, oh no. It's all to do with pacing. Well, like, he doesn't, he, he turns up again, doesn't he? Because he, um, at one point after they sort of finished the machine that's going to control the, the fog there, mm. he goes off to activate the Sonic, doesn't he? To call the doctor back, but he's already there waiting for him and he dismisses him. That's he right. Off I, or closes the curtains on him, doesn't you're he? You're right, actually. I think it's implied, isn't it, that the doctor's always come back and he's always waited for him every Christmas he's come back to try 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 and try but it's never worked and now it finally happens and he's like oh brilliant okay great let's let's do this thing um, I th- yeah I, again I don't have any problem with Danny Orn playing the, playing the role of Kazma I think it's you know a remarkable little love story between two people who have the weirdest relationship probably weirder than River Song and the Doctor well not that weird but still pretty weird um, and it's fantastical in some some respects as well Anything else you guys want to add about Kazran before we move on? No, just um, I, again, just bring sort of the plot point back into it. I do love the fact that for his um, for his final trick, for lack of a better phrase, the Doctor brings the young version, obviously, to meet the old version right oh, towards course. the end. Of his, yes. As his, I'm going to, the ghost of Christmas future and all That's that. That's a clever it? play, that, yeah. Mm, exactly. I that. really That's enjoyed that. Not a plot hole. Like, being that surely the effect of witnessing yeah, yeah your future self would fuck it up maybe that's why it does yeah, maybe that's why it does screw I up think, 
I was going to say, we've had long conversations around uh, time travel and the rules you have to put in place around Well, it. you said it yourself about five minutes ago, Cook. You said, you know, the older Kazaran's still bitter because of everything he's learned. He blames it on the Doctor. Maybe he blames it on the Doctor because he remembers being young and seeing the Doctor showing the older version of himself being horrible. He's, and that's yeah, what he's bitter about. He blames it. the Doctor that he knows he's going to be bitter for that long. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Something could something very much be like that, but because um, it's not like he can wipe his memory, otherwise he'll just forget everything that's he, happened. That after won't that. solve the problem. And the yeah. doctor will be like bollocks. He's got to go and do it all again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a good job. He's got that's a time an machine. Entirely different. Time Holy time, crap! Right? Yeah. Imagine if he just like you know what? I'll wipe his memory at age thirty. Yeah. We'll just try again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's dark. That's dark. So, all right, let's talk about the the uh, love interest then. Um, Abigail, portrayed by Catherine Jenkins. Now, I don't know if Catherine Jenkins is an actor. I don't know if she's done any acting work before this, but she's a good actor. I don't. I can't fault her performance in the slightest. I don't know what you guys think. Yeah, about her. I mean, most of her lines were sung, so <laughs> <laughs> she had a fair bit of dialogue. <laughs> Um, but she did also sing yeah, because she, she is, yeah, she is a, a, a mezzo soprano opera singer. So you know, it's nice to see uh, see her again. I wonder. I think it's possibly just. And I'm not saying this in a dismissive way or anything, but I wonder if she was given the role because she could sing beautifully. And a plot point of it was that she needed to sing beautifully to resonate the cloud belt so that the fish would guide the ship in safely. Um, but yeah, thank God for Moffat and the rest of the production team because she pulled it off <laughs> fantastically. Um, yeah, she she really doesn't have much um, acting credit at all. No, I was going to say I'm fairly yeah, certain she's been thing. in next to nothing. Because um, had I you guys heard of it before? Who is the first thing listed under television? So. Oh, really? Okay. Have you guys seen it before? Had you had you even heard of her? I was you cook being so young. No, no, not a clue. No, so I was aware really of her from like, to me though. No, I suppose not. No, of course not. It's, I think this was possibly another part of the um, stunt casting sort of thing, you know, where they want to get someone relatively famous in, which they do with Doctor Who. The, the, the newbies would have been, obviously, the two young versions of, of Kazra, but you've got Michael Gambon and, and Catherine Jenkins, and they would have been the self-actor for kind of like families and stuff to say, oh, you know, you've got this opera singer and this famous actor. Um, and it's just marvellous that it sort of worked really well together, I suppose. I mean, what the budget of this episode must have been huge. I wonder what it was. I'd be really curious to find out what that was, actually. Because um, it would be riding off the success of Series 5, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be. And so, their, their fees would have been pretty bloody high, I can imagine, yeah. specifically those two. Well, Catherine Jenkins maybe not so much, but Michael Gambers must have been through the roof. It must definitely, have been. Yeah. yeah, definitely. But the character of, of, of Abigail, then, I can't remember. Is it explicitly stated what she's got wrong with her? Because the doctor can somehow give a bionic leg to a, a Coal Hill school student in the space of a couple of hours, but he can't heal her. Oh, that's always been the case with things like this, though. I mean, the doctor could heal Graham's cancer, or like, yeah, that's a very good point. Stuff. Yeah, could have gone back and you know healed Donna's dad. Yeah, it's an important I mean, kind of plot point that she's going to die, which drives the the whole story. So yeah, so that's why it's yeah. not touched upon yet, I guess. But no, is it is it explained what she's got wrong with her? It's not, is it? Just that she's got so. she's got X time to to live, and that's why I I for many many years, even after I've, I've thankfully it's sunk in now eventually, um, after like eleven years, but I always got confused with the concept of her being on ice and the family at the start being her family and then we see them and they're a little bit older um 
I still don't feel like they're much older at that point. <laughs> that's that's a, a part that always throws me off slightly. Um, what what actually throws me off is the old fat version of her family has the same child actor playing the young version. Thank of you. That's, that's the thing that throws me off every time. Did did we did I miss something on that, Matt? Or is that actually the case? No. Yeah, that I, found that, I found that a little bit a little bit bizarre, but. Um, but they must. That I think though the story is pretty close to the current timeline at that point, though, isn't it? No, it can't be because the current timeline is really old Kazran. Yeah. What the fuck? That's a very good point. I don't know. Maybe it's just like a. Maybe they put that kid on ice, <laughs> and then take him out a bit later. <laughs> wow. Need another loan. <laughs> yeah. The dark story behind this is that the dad's got a really bad gambling addiction. <laughs> There's like fish races that he keeps throwing his money on, and. Uh, yeah, there's some more fanfic for you. But yeah, I think she's fantastic. And of course, she does some beautiful singing throughout. Um, what's the song called? Is it When You're Alone? Uh, or Silence Is All Around, or whatever it's called. I can't remember the song called, but I'll, useful. I'll find out, but it's something along those yeah, lines. Yeah, we'll talk about it more in a bit anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean. Uh, it's called Abigail's Song. Abigail's Song. <laughs> <laughs> all right, okay, fair, fair enough. Silence um, Is All You Know. Silence Is All You Know, that's it, yeah. Um, yeah, just it, it was it was nice to have her in there. Really can't can't sort of say any more about that. I suppose it's just a blessing that she was a great actor because people who don't necessarily act and come into the show um, for stunt casting purposes don't always manage to pull it off well enough. You know, which is unfortunate in some respects, but that's just the way it is. And it's intentional that um, silence is specifically mentioned in the song. Not in the slightest. Uh, sorry, yes, it is intentional. It's not co- not coincidental. It's definitely intentional. There is, there is exactly. There is no. No, it's got to be. It's got to be. Stephen Moffat basically built Series 5 and 6 around the concept of the silence. Well, in fact, the entire bloody tenure was around the silence, wasn't it? So there's no coincidence. It yeah, can't I, be. I can't believe that was accidental. No. It's, it's yeah, too true. specific a word to, you know, if you wanted to have any random song or make or write a song or whatever, you could have easily gone for anything. It's very specific and it's very prominent in the song itself. I mean, what totally surprised me about Stephen Moffat's era is that there wasn't a Christmas special called Silent Night. That really threw me off. I was always expecting the next Christmas special to be called Silent Night and it just never was, happened. It was rumoured that Capaldi's last one was going to be, wasn't it? That would be weird, though, wouldn't it? But... Yeah, that would be weird, though, because you'd be like, well, oh, that's got yeah. no reference to the 12th. That would have that would have fitted better with the Eleven's era. So maybe maybe it was, and maybe that's why they decided not to because they thought no, because people associate silence with the Eleventh. Oh right, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so mm, I don't know. Okay, well that kind of covers the characters, I suppose. And so let's talk about the visuals um, super quickly. Um, just beautiful. The set work is fantastic. The interior sets, uh, the exterior shots, even the very brief moments that we see of the cruise liner. Are just fantastic. I don't. I don't think there's any more to add to that, really. Um, no, I think again, just to reiterate the fact that the sets are absolutely all fantastic. It feels I like a stage really play. Of that, and yeah, because it feels like a lot of time and effort went into yeah. not just the actual sets to have the actors perform in in, in those sets, but actually the layouts of things as well. Like yeah. again, you get the Doctor and Kazra walking throughout the house and. Yep you get to actually get a really good understanding of where everything feel everything is by feel as opposed to you know being directed down corridors mm. and i think they did a very good job of making that you know particularly chasm's house feel very very alive i think it's I also love, 
the environments they make that actually feel lived in as well. That's, like, I was just about to say that um, it's that sense of mise en scène, isn't it? Where it's, it literally feels like there is a story and everything to it. Yeah, mm. but I think it's the, the opening shot where it goes through the planet's cloud layer and you see all the fish and then you yeah. see the mach- a yeah. machine. That's it goes right. through like uh, a shot of the the whole town in general yeah. and it goes to sort of like the Cobble street, street level and... and then there's like actually people milling about yeah. and just getting on with their lives. Uh, I miss that about uh, lots of Doctor Who episodes, I suppose, because you don't really get it nowadays. No, not in the slightest. Um, no, no, you don't at all. You're completely right about that. There was a lot of um, set scene setting up like that in, in RTD's era, and that was yeah, kind of... Yeah, next Doctor and... It sort of dribbled out, didn't it, though, by, by the end? Of, I think this is probably kind of like one of the last times that Moffat's era really did anything like this. Um, everything from this yeah, point was pretty much yeah, cut and I run. Think so. I can't envisage kind of like lived-in scenery that really happened frequently throughout, throughout the rest of... Um, Moffat's era at this point. I suppose the closest you get is maybe like thin ice. Yeah, probably. Yeah, that is probably the closest that we can get. But not not in this Christmas context that we're talking about. So I don't know. No. There's probably examples of it, but I think this is the last time it really feels real. Yeah, I think it's just magical setting as well. Uh, like the, I think the iconic shot is of the fish circling the the, the bulb light, the the big glowing sphere light. I think that's just beautiful. I, I just remember that shot is stunning. Um, and of course the shark and the sleigh ride and all that business, very typical fare. The CGI is fantastic as per usual. Um, can't really criticize, excuse me, any of that. Um, I'm not crying. I was trying to stifle a belch. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't have any issues with the visuals. I think they're stunning in this one. And the soundtrack as well, I suppose. Um, it's still Millennium Effects that are doing it at this point. Uh, I don't know. I thought it was the mill, wasn't it? Who were doing the all mill. CGI? Yeah, the mill. I don't know. Yeah, I thought it was the mill who were doing all CGI. Millennium, Millennium, Millennium effects, effect. do, they do the practical effects. Oh, uh, they do practical yeah, effects and stuff. Yeah, like so it's the CGI's all done, was done by the mill. I'm pretty certain they, they did it all the way up until um, the end of Moffat's run when he started outsourcing to, to, to people and whatnot and other companies. But uh, I could be talking shit there. Hmm. I mean, they did a very good job here. I have no, mm. <laughs> no complaints. Yeah, no, no, definitely. And the soundtrack is fantastic. Uh, we've just spoken about the song, um, uh, whatever it's called, Science is All You Know, or whatever it is. Um, I do. Um, I, I, I did look it up, and it was composed by Murray Gold, but I wonder if Catherine Jenkins actually had any influence over it. I could imagine she possibly would have done, um, from an yeah. opera singer. Um, it's just beautiful to hear. I, I'm, I'm a massive classical and opera fan anyway, and... Uh, I love it. Murray Gold's use of um, choirs and uh, you know different op- operatic elements in his music, and um, valet, etc. Beautiful. Love all that sort of stuff. So it really was nice to hear that in this. And there was a lot of tinkling sort of bells and stuff, very kind of evocative of Christmas in this particular soundtrack as well, which really sell it even more. You know, it's definitely one of the stronger sort of Christmas special Murray soundtracks. Murray just got such like a, a, a breadth and depth. Oh, definitely. That he uses to great success. I think. Oh, definitely, definitely, yeah. And he sounds unique in a lot of stuff, which kind of comes in the breadth and depth that you're talking about. Had, I, he has absolutely no um, like blockers or barriers to creating new sounds. Even within Doctor Who itself, he's just lurched from like strength to strength, going from Doctor's themes to companion themes to just epic music. Like. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, no, no, very, very much so. All right, come on, gents, let's do this. Rating... Let's, what, how many Christmas puds out of ten would you give it, Matt? Oh, Christmas Carol, nine. Nine, okay, that's nice and strong. What about you, uh, Cook? 
Uh, this is a 10. Is yeah, it's 10 a for me. Yeah. It, not only is it just a great um, Christmas special, it's also a fantastic Doctor Who story. Um, I just love it. Love to it me, a 9 is the most I'll ever get because I don't believe in 10s out of 10s. That means it's perfect. I think it is perfect. single thing. I wouldn't. There is literally nothing I can criticise about this story. You have pointed out plot holes and things you didn't like about it, though. But uh, it, it, everything else makes up plot for it. Is, a plot hole isn't necessarily an imperfection. Oh. No, well, well, it's, it's us over-analyzing <laughs> stuff. And I think, given the fact that there's more than ample amount of stuff that kind of uh, makes up for it, is what I'm trying to say, then it, it's it's completely and utterly perfect for me. It's the perfect trying to, story. Trying to change it runs the risk of ruining what we've already got. And yeah, I, just, I, I, I wouldn't do that, ever. And this is why I strictly want to quote the fact that I'll give it a 9 out of 10, because I don't... I, I really do enjoy it. It's the highest score that I would give any episode um, because I don't I don't necessarily believe in giving 10s out of 10. That's fair enough. Because you're Kazrak Sardan. Uh, Ka- right. Kazrak Sardan. Kazran Sardik. His name's so bloody wrong. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Anyway, that is it for today. Thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to like and subscribe on our Twitter and Facebook channels where we'll be bringing you new reviews and content every week. Now, next week, it's the final podcast of 2021, and we're seeing it out with one more deck of the halls as the Doctor and Clara have their last Christmas. Now, before we go, we wanted to take the opportunity to wish you all at home a safe and very Merry Christmas. But until next time... It's Christmas. Don't you remember the police station Christmas? So it was, yes. Here's a toast. A happy Christmas to all of us. (laughs) Same to you, Doctor. (laughs) Incidentally, a happy Christmas to all of you at home.